You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. Okay, so of all the people who have ever lived, whose birthday do we celebrate most in the history of the world? You know, what, what sports star, what celebrity, what, what great world leader? Well, it's none of those, of course. It's the birth of the Lord Jesus. His birth is so significant that history hinges around his coming. That's why our calendar is B.C. before Christ and A.D. Anno Domini, which is the year of the Lord. Everything literally transitions around the birth of this man, Jesus Christ. And it's curious because he uh, never traveled more than a couple hundred miles from his home. Never married, never had children, never held political office. He was not a man of affluence and wealth. He was, in fact, born in a rural town to a teenage peasant girl and a carpenter dad. He would have grown up in a home about the size of two of our parking stalls outside. He lived a very simple, very humble life, but more people know about him more songs written regarding him, more paintings painted of him, more books written concerning him than anyone else in the history of the world. And when it comes to the person and work of Jesus, the question becomes, who is the real Jesus? What are the real facts about him? And what is the truth regarding him? Because when we start to study about Jesus, you discover an array of contradictory questions and opinions about Jesus' person and work. And that leads us today to Luke's gospel. We're going to see Luke chapters 1 and 2 over the next few weeks leading in through the Christmas season. So Luke chapter 1 begins this way. Luke writes saying, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. As Luke introduces us to his work, of historically investigating who Jesus is, what he did, what he has said. Let me share with you three lessons from Luke as we count our way toward Christmas and the birth of Jesus. The first lesson from Luke is this, that the Christian faith rests on historical facts. Christianity does not claim to be speculation about God, but rather revelation from God. Christianity is rooted in facts. The facts are these. Jesus lived. Jesus lived without sin. Jesus said he was God. Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. And that Jesus rose from death as our Lord, God, Savior, King, and Christ. These are the historical facts upon which Christianity is founded. If any of these facts are untrue, then we shouldn't love Jesus. We should hate him. We shouldn't accept Jesus. We should reject him. We shouldn't trust Jesus. We should distrust him. His claims are so significant. His impact so startling. It's either true or false. 
that he lived, died, rose, and that he said he was God. True or false? What Luke is saying is that all of Christianity rests on these historical facts. And when he writes, as we just read at the beginning of his gospel, that these are the things that have been fulfilled, he's talking about the historical investigation that Luke himself carries out on the actual events. You see, this makes Luke kind of like the Indiana Jones in the New Testament. A crime scene investigator, an historian, an archaeologist. Luke is traveling to meet with and do research on the eyewitnesses. He's writing his book roughly 30 years after Jesus returned to heaven, and many of those eyewitnesses are still alive. Those who were healed, he can actually talk to them. Those who heard Jesus speak and preach, he can interview them. Those who knew Jesus intimately, his, his family, those he grew up around, they're still alive. And Luke would have spent months, perhaps years, to find these eyewitnesses and capture their stories and their experiences. And then Luke sits down to write this orderly account. It's in chronological order. And Luke details some 40 events, miracles, teachings in Jesus' life that no one else does. If we didn't have Luke capturing these events, they would be lost to us. Furthermore, these first two chapters of Luke give us more insight into the early years of Jesus than anything else that's ever been written. Now, some people over the centuries have questioned Luke's credibility. They're like, well, I've heard that this is myth, fable, folklore, that, uh, you know, I've even heard that some of these things that were written down are, are simply not true. They were, in fact, made up, you know, like later, add-ons. Well, Luke is interviewing eyewitnesses, and he's writing within a 30-year period after the events took place. Plus, Luke is a well-educated doctor. He's not given to myths and, and legends. So what I want you to know is that if you place your faith in Jesus, if you place your hope in Jesus, you do so based upon historical facts that are altogether credible. Furthermore, I would say that if you, anybody, rejects Luke's account, the burden of proof rests on you. So who do you think is more credible? Who are you going to trust? Who has done better research than Luke to go to this painstaking labor of traveling, interviewing, compiling? You mean to tell me you would believe someone else over him? A second lesson to learn from Luke is that God loves the whole world one person at a time. God loves the whole world. The Bible tells us that, so it's, it's indeed true. But God loves the whole world one person at a time. You see, we believe that Luke had a benefactor to make these travels happen, to spend months traveling around, to have to underwrite all of these travels, and that someone is a man named Theophilus. 
Luke mentions him in the beginning of his gospel. We just read it. He also mentions Theophilus in the beginning of his second book, which is the book of Acts. Perhaps Theophilus wanted to know, is this all true? Is Jesus really who I've heard him to be? That he performed all these miracles, taught all these amazing things about God, and that he actually was God himself? So God loved Theophilus so much that this entire project was to help him answer his questions, perhaps even some of his objections about Jesus. I need you to know that God loves the whole world, but he also loves you. He loves Theophilus so much that two books of the Bible were written to serve this one man. But ultimately, they were written to serve each one of us. And the third lesson is that sometimes position is overrated. This man, Luke, he's never called a pastor, an elder, a bishop, a prophet, an apostle. He has no title. So who is he? He's a doctor. Well, where are his sermons? We don't see Luke preach. He doesn't record anything. Was he one of the apostles? No. Here's what I want you to see. We live in a world, and sometimes this is even true in churches and and ministries, where it's all about title holding and ladder climbing. Like, like what's your title or what, what rung are you on on the ladder? It doesn't matter what your title is. It matters what your impact is. Luke had no title, but quite an impact. He wrote two books of the Bible. And by sheer volume of words and verses, he is the primary contributor to the New Testament. You don't need a title to make an impact. You don't need a title to make a difference. You don't need a title to serve Jesus. You can make an impact. You can make a difference. You can serve Jesus wherever you are and whatever you're doing at the office, in the neighborhood gatherings, in school, in your home, at the game. You can make a difference and help people meet Jesus. That should be on all of our hearts. Now, let me say this. One of the things I appreciate most about Luke's gospel is that he lets Jesus speak for himself. How many of you have been in a setting where people have opinions about Christ and about Christianity that you know are simply not true? They're like, well, I don't think this is what Jesus said, or, or maybe they're even going to another direction. They're like, well, this is what he said. And you're like, no, I've, I've read the book. That's not in there. Well, here's what Christians believe. How many of you have watched TV and your mind just about explode when somebody on there is telling you, hey, this is what Christians believe, and you know it's not even close to being the truth? There's oftentimes a great misrepresentation of Christ, what he actually said, and a great misrepresentation of Christianity, what we believe. And everyone might talk about Jesus, but if you really want to know him, The best thing is to listen to him. So what I appreciate about Luke's gospel is that roughly half of his verses in the book of Luke are just Jesus' own words speaking for himself, telling us who he is. Because you know what? In the history of the world, more people have opinions about Jesus than anyone who's ever lived. 
I'd like to know Jesus's own opinion of himself. So what I want to do is, is just go to two examples. There's so many more than this, but just two examples in Luke's gospel where Jesus speaks for himself. The first, Jesus said he was savior in Luke chapter four. We'll see it in just a second. The, the context is this. He's in the midst of what, what would be equivalent to us as a church service, Sunday church service. He's in a synagogue. It's on the Sabbath, the Lord's day. And here Jesus is in Nazareth in the synagogue. It's his hometown. I mean, this is where he grew up. Everybody knew him. Think small rural town where he played little league with all the other kids. And this is on the Sabbath day in the synagogue. Jesus stands up and he reads from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And Luke records this event. Jesus speaking for himself. He reads from Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. He's saying, I'm here on a mission to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. I'm going to save people, heal people, and crush demons And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This story will continue after he speaks. People heard it. They don't like it. Here's what you need to know. Jesus clearly, emphatically, repeatedly, publicly tells people who he is. And they don't like it. Some of you have been wrongly told Jesus didn't say he was God I mean, that was over time added in. You know, it's myth, fable, it's folklore that was added to the story of Jesus, but it's not true. Oh, it is true. Jesus, in many ways, on many occasions to many people, said he was God, that he was coming to forgive sin and save sinners, something only God could do. So after Jesus shared the Isaiah passage... Here's how Luke tells the story. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They drove, they got up, drove him out of the town. I mean, these are the people he grew up with who knew him and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But it wasn't his time. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The context of this that he just read from Isaiah is that 700 years prior, a prophet named Isaiah said the Lord was coming, that God was coming in human history. He's coming to preach the good news. He's coming to heal the sick, give sight to the blind. He's coming to conquer demons. He's coming to set captives free. This is who he will be and what he will do. So wait for him, long for him, hope for him. And here's how you'll know it is him. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. That's exactly what happened at the baptism of the Lord Jesus. 
And when Jesus stands up in the synagogue that day in his hometown of Nazareth and he reads those verses from Isaiah, he reads it and he says, and I quote, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And what he's saying is, God has arrived. And everyone realizes what he has said. And even though they grew up with him and know him, they wanted to kill him. Make no mistake, Jesus says he is God. Another example of where Luke lets Jesus speak for himself is in chapter 5, where Jesus says he forgives sins as the Son of Man. This is a massive statement. Jesus says to a paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, now when these guys show up, these are the religious people. Religious people are not good people. Let me say this. No one here is interested in making you religious. We want you to meet Jesus. Religious people hated Jesus. Religious, people's, religious people are the ones that God, you know, they think God wrote some rules. That was a great start, God, but we need to add to it. We need to finish these and so we're going to write our own rules, and then we're going to write rules about the rules, and then we're going to enforce the rules, and we're going to send out people with clipboards to, <laughs> to watch you obey the rules. And if you don't, we're going to punish you because we're in God's position making laws and judging people. Just to be clear, we're not for religion, we're for Jesus and religious people always hated Jesus, always opposed Jesus. And they confused people by thinking that what they were doing is in the name of God. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? What's blasphemy? It's someone who isn't God saying that they are God. What happens in the Old Testament if you blaspheme they kill you. They take you out. There are no repeat offenders. Jesus knows this. Jesus says this. Jesus repeats this. And Jesus never apologizes for this. They continue their thinking. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He's doing God's job. So they're thinking, this guy is evil. We need to kill him. And Jesus says, I know what you're thinking. Jesus knew what they were thinking. Do you know that Jesus knows your thoughts? I mean, he, he hears your words, he sees your actions, but he also knows your thoughts. Now, for how many of you, that scares you, right? Maybe it should. But he answered them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus says two astounding things here. He forgives sins as the Son of Man. Now, forgiving sins was solely the domain of God. You see, we have one problem. And that one problem contributes to all our other problems. That one problem is sin. And sin 
is our thoughts, our words, our actions, even our motives. That's why the Bible says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. You know, even non-Christians would tend to agree, and they would say, hey, nobody's perfect. Well, there was one, Jesus. Everyone else, imperfect. Everyone else is a sinner in need of a Savior. That's why King David in Psalm 51 verse 4, here's a great declaration. He says, it is against you, you only, Lord God, have I sinned. That when we sin, we sin against God. When we are in need of forgiveness, we have to get it from God. Unless there is provision, there is punishment. Unless there is provision for sin, there is punishment for sin. And when Jesus says you're forgiven, the religious people understand that only God can do that. And they wrongly misunderstand that Jesus alone is that God. So here's what I want you to know. You're a sinner. You need to be forgiven. Only Jesus can forgive you. So he lives a sinless life. Eventually, he goes to the cross to pay the penalty as our substitute in our place. He is punished for our sins. And the second astonishing thing he says about himself in this passage is that he refers to himself as the son of man. Now, that might be hard for us to comprehend. They would have gotten it immediately. Jesus has a number of titles used of him. The most preferred for himself is son of man. He uses it some 80 times. Now, in hearing this, they would have been reminded of where that title comes from. It's the book of Daniel. We saw Daniel back in the summer. About 600 years before Jesus was even born, the prophet Daniel, peering into the future, prophesied and promises the coming of this one who is the Son of Man. Let me read it for you in Daniel 7. Daniel says, in my vision at night, I looked. So he gets a glimpse into the future. And there before me was one like a son of man. This is God become a man. Coming with the clouds of heaven. So this is not a person who is going to rise up from the earth, be born, you know, already here existing and rise up to power. This is God with all of his kingdom and glory coming down out of heaven, riding with the clouds down into human history. And this God become a man, approached the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. This is unequaled and unprecedented. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. They bowed down to him, acknowledged him, glorified him, submitted to him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. That means that God, our Creator, has a king, and that king and his kingdom has visited this earth to forgive sins, and it's a kingdom that will never end. And so back to Luke, those who hear Jesus hate Jesus because they don't believe he is who he says he is. 
So my question to you is, who do you think Jesus is? Luke goes on to tell us, and Jesus said this would happen. Jesus does die, but he doesn't stay dead. He comes back to life, thereby conquering Satan, sin, death, and hell. Everything Jesus says is true because everything written about him is fulfilled. He said he would die. He said he would rise. He did die. He did rise. He alone conquers sin. He alone conquers death. No one says what Jesus says. No one does what Jesus does because no one is who Jesus is. Amen. Our prayer today is that if you don't know Jesus, you will come to believe in him. Take him at his word. Trust. Trust Jesus Christ. Understand that Luke, who wrote all of these words about Jesus, is a very credible witness who spent his time traveling around, speaking to eyewitnesses, knowing the stories are all true. Jesus is not only the Son of Man that Daniel wrote about, but our Savior, Christ the Lord. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.